Welcome to the Academics Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Velasco, and the goal of our podcast is to broaden your knowledge about a vast number of different topics and fields of study. In this podcast, we interview researchers from a number of different institutions across the country to gain insight into the research they conduct on a daily basis. I would like to welcome our guest today, Professor Corey Antonakis, a professor of general and organic chemistry at Diablo Valley College. Professor Antonakis received her BS in chemistry from the George Washington University and her PhD in chemistry from UC Berkeley. For this podcast, I will once again be joined by my co-host and friend, Koi Vo, a student at UC Davis majoring in biological sciences. All right. Hi, Professor Corey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm excited to have our conversation today. Yeah. Um, so I think for the listeners, they should just get some context. So you were my professor when I was in organic chemistry in DBC. So I really wanted to have you on because you were a great teacher. I think I kind of want some background. How did you how did you first come to want to pursue organic chemistry? How did you get into the field of science in general? Yeah, um, those are that's a good questions. Let me think. So I think I started liking science probably in high school. That was maybe where my interest for science in general peaked. Um, when I went to college, I originally started actually as an engineering major, as an undergrad um, at George Washington University in Washington, DC. And I think my freshman year in engineering, it was like a little too, um, what's the way to describe it? It was too like focused on the job already. Like even in freshman year engineering classes, they would talk about like the customer and, and dealing in a very professional setting. And I think at that age and time in my life, I was like, I just want to think about science. Like I didn't want to have to think about like what my job is going to be once I finish college. Um, so I switched to more of the, like the pure sciences rather than the applied engineering sciences. Um, and in, in choosing chemistry, I remember, I think when I switched out of engineering in my freshman year, I spoke with, I think I was hunting down like an environmental science major. I was trying to see if that was something I could do and I couldn't find that as an option. And I ended up meeting with um, the chair of the geology department at my undergrad institution. And I was like, where's the environmental science department? Can I be an environmental science major? And he was like, we actually got rid of that major. That major doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he said, it's because graduates with an environmental science major had too shallow of an understanding of any science, that it was a very broad degree, but it was not a very deep degree. So those students were not able to um, get into the job market very effectively, I guess. So they kind of got rid of the environmental science major. And they said, if you're interested in environmental science or in using science for the environment in some way, then we recommend you just pick a hard science and you can apply that in like an environmental science context. Um, so what I did was I took uh, chemistry, physics, and geology all in the same semester. And I was like, I'm gonna pick one of these. These are, one of these is gonna be my major. Um, and I liked chemistry the best. And I think I liked it cause it was very central. They, chemistry is often described as like the central science. Um, so it made me feel like, oh, with chemistry, I could, still kind of connect to physics, I could still connect to geology, so it felt like a good middle um, pathway. 
Yeah, it was kind of a long story, but yeah, that's does that kind of answer your question? It's yeah, yeah, it does absolutely. Into chemistry, yeah. Um. So, well, what other subjects other than chemistry did you enjoy? You mentioned geology and physics. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, I liked both of those. I still do. I did actually more sort of a physics um, project in grad school, anyway. Um, other stuff I liked, I mean, the, the sort of humanities subjects I think were more like fun for me. I knew that they weren't going to be part of my career path necessarily, but I liked languages. I really liked Spanish. Um, I did a lot of Spanish in high school and I did some Spanish in college. And even now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I should take a Spanish class and like try to get fluent in Spanish. Um, so I think that was really fun for me because there's something about languages or at least the level that I got to with languages, maybe it gets... I'm sure there's more to it when you get farther into it. Um, but I just liked the, um, I don't know, there's like a systemic way to learn a language, right? There's rules and there's conjugations for verbs and all and stuff like that. So it kind of has a nice system similar to a lot of introductory science courses. So it kind of suits with my science interest. All right, so I have another question for you. So mm -hmm. this is more along the line of like mm, how or why specifically organic chemistry out of like all the other chemistry subject? Yeah, so that's, it's an interesting question. So I actually did not, I don't have a background in organic chemistry specifically before teaching it. Um, so when I was an undergrad, I started my research experience in analytical chemistry, which was sort of applied to biochemistry. So there's sort of some biochem, some analytical chem, in the research I did as an undergrad. When I went to grad school, I was actually more on the physical chemistry side and my research in grad school was more with materials science and physics and chemistry and sort of how those met up. So I did a lot of stuff with um, thermodynamics, with solid state materials, with magnetism. Um, so I didn't do a lot of organic chemistry. And then when I started working at DVC, it was a little bit, it just kind of happened that way. Like when I got hired at DVC, they just needed someone to teach organic chemistry right away when I got hired. So they were like looking for someone to teach OCHEM. And I remember feeling like, I hope they know that like my background is not OCHEM, you know, like I can teach it. I can figure out how to teach it. I took it as an undergrad, um, but it's not my like bread and butter, but I taught it that first year. Um, and I think the first year I taught it, it was definitely a challenge because there was a lot of relearning I had to do because I just hadn't thought about organic chemistry in a long time. Um, but then when I got into it, I really liked it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I like got into it and I, it's probably my favorite subject to teach now. Um, and what makes it interesting is my, my lack of graduate level background in organic chemistry makes it easier to teach it because I remember what it was like to struggle with it. Whereas when I teach intro chem or gen chem, sometimes it's harder for me to teach because so much of that material is like, I learned it so long ago and I've been thinking about it for so long that it's hard for me to relate to the students when they struggle. Whereas with organic chemistry, when students struggle, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get it. I remember feeling that way. So it's an interesting balance between right, being so advanced in a field that you can't relate to your students um, versus having enough knowledge and enough um, scientific ability to be able to teach something, but still being able to relate to the students and their struggle. So, yeah. I love that answer. So, 
I did I did listen to you and you said something that it was hard for you. So I was wondering what what about Ochem was difficult? Was it like the material or was it the amount of information? Oh yeah. When I took Ochem, think think back to my college days. Um I think I very much resisted memorizing things because I was like, I liked science. I was into it. I knew I could do it. And when I got to organic chemistry, everyone says like, oh, you have to memorize everything. And I, I almost like refused. I was like, no, I'm not going to waste my time on that. That's silly to memorize things. This in, like, if you can look something up, why would I have to memorize it? I want to learn about like why things are happening. I want to learn about the concepts and the principles and why the electrons are moving the way they're moving. Um, and so I tried to approach it that way. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, there were definitely times when maybe memorization would have served me better when I took organic chemistry. Um, and because of that, that has informed the way I teach because I don't, I don't want my students to have to memorize things. Like I still stick by that, that memorization is useful for right a few things. If there are things you just use over and over and again, it's useful to have them in your brain, a, easy to recall, but so much there's so much more to it that I don't want my students to waste time memorizing too much stuff. Um, so, so I do try to teach in a way that doesn't require too much memorization. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious to know, Professor Corey, when did you realize that you wanted to do teaching? When did you figure this out at a young age or what really contributed to you wanting to do that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So it wasn't too young. I think when I started grad school, I wanted to be a research professor. Like I went to grad school with that in mind, thinking I want to have a research lab um, and be at some institution where I'm um, in charge of some research, but also teaching, sort of knowing that I'd probably enjoy teaching, but not thinking it was going to be my main career focus. Um, but then when I got to grad school, maybe a few years in, and I saw the environment and the climate and the culture of be of what, like where I would be if I were a research professor in chemistry, it just did not sound appealing anymore. I was like, this lifestyle doesn't sound like something I want to pursue. Um, it's very competitive. There's a lot of, um, what's the nice way to say it? There's a lot of trying to prove that you're better than everyone else to get funding um, that is necessary in higher level research institutions like UC Berkeley. So I went to grad school at UC Berkeley where it's very, very competitive. All the chemistry professors there have had to work very, very hard and had to really prove to funding institutions and other institutions that they're better than other scientists. Right. Yeah, and that, I just, I don't have that in me. <laughs> and I was just not interested in that. Um, but I TA'd during grad school. So I, you know, got to teach like, general chemistry labs and discussions. And I really enjoyed that. And I was like, oh, maybe I can just teach. Maybe that can be my job. Um, so that was sort of where my interest got peaked with teaching. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of curious to know, which, which field of chemistry do you think is the most interesting right now or shows the most potential that you see going pretty far in the future um, currently? Oh, that's a good question. It's hard to hard to pick a, a best one. Um, I guess 
I mean, I, I guess I have to say, I, I don't know enough about every field and what every field is doing to be able to say like one field is definitely going the farthest. But I think the ones that I pay attention to the most that are most interesting are probably ones that have application in either energy or health. Um, Cause those are, you know, our big issues right now that we're dealing with. Um, energy I know is taking a back burner to health as we deal with this pandemic. Um, but as far as energy technology goes, there's that's where a lot of the stuff that I did in grad school gets applied. So a lot of solid state chemistry, a lot of thermodynamics and energy transfer. There's a lot of cool research um, going on in the past decade or so about artificial photosynthesis. So basically studying how plants photosynthesize because they're extremely efficient and like, can we can we make solar cells that are as efficient as plants? And it turns out to be really difficult to do that. Um, so I think that's a, a cool sort of promising um, pathway and field. So sort of some more physical solid state chemistry there. And then on the health side, that's where more organic chemistry and biochemistry comes in. Um, obviously right now with the COVID vaccines, that's a little bit more biology than chemistry, but the mRNA uh, vaccine technology I've been reading about is really promising for other things, even beyond COVID. Hmm. Um, so that'll be cool to see what, what we can do with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you think is your favorite part about organic chemistry specifically? Oh, that's a good question. What is my favorite part? I, I think about this because organic chemistry is like when we teach it at DBC, it's split into two semesters and the first semester is more physical and the second semester is more synthetic. Um, and I, th I think I like the physical part better. I think it's harder to teach it, but I like the topics more. So that's more the stuff you learn in like the first semester of an undergrad organic chemistry course where you're learning about um, molecular structure, sterics, electronics, resonance, all those sort of fundamental things about an organic molecule that you will later apply to mechanisms and synthesis. So I think that's sort of my favorite piece. Um, and then I guess I also can't forget, like I, I love thermodynamics. I did a lot of thermodynamics in grad school. So anything where we're drawing energy diagrams or thinking about kinetic versus um, thermodynamic products, I really enjoy that part as well. What, uh, what has worked for you uh, while you're studying OCHEM, like, is there a specific study kind of regimen you do or? Yeah, like study tips for students currently taking OCHEM? Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, it is difficult. And I guess I should sort of going back to what I had mentioned when I, when I took organic chemistry as an undergrad, there were times when I did need to memorize and I didn't and that didn't work and then there were times when I chose not to memorize and it was fine but it also it depends how your class is taught right if you're if your instructor emphasizes process and understanding and applying um, electron movement and Coulomb's law then you can then that can inform the way you study right that you're thinking about it in sort of a looking for patterns approach say what are, what do all these reactions have in common where there probably are still instructors out there that do just ask you to memorize a bunch of stuff. I do. I hope that we're moving away from that because it's just not necessary. Um, so I would say, assuming you have an instructor that doesn't emphasize the memorization too much, um, then I would say being cognizant of that and 
trying to find similarities and patterns in all the reactions that you're looking at, right? That's usually the most overwhelming part for students. It's like, oh my God, there's so many reactions and I have to memorize all of them. But if you can categorize them and say, well, oh, well, all these reactions have the same mechanism. It's always nucleophilic attack, leaving group loss. Then you can say, oh, these are actually reactions under this one category. So I only need to learn this one category and be comfortable applying it to all these other molecules. So I would say as much as you can is summarize and categorize and group things together. I think that can make the material a lot more digestible. Got it. And what is the most rewarding part about teaching organic chemistry? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the, honestly, to flatter both of you, the students, the organic chemistry students are the funnest students to teach. And I talk about this, um, Dr. Beaulieu at DVC as well. She teaches organic chemistry and gen chem and intro chem. So we both teach sort of the whole range. Um, and she always says teaching organic chemistry is a privilege because the students in organic chemistry You've, most of you have already bought in. You're like, I know that I need to learn. I know I need to do my homework. I know this is valuable for some reason. So we don't need to spend time convincing you to study. Instead, you, you guys ask more interesting questions. You say, why is this happening? How do I figure this out? So we get to have more interesting conversations with the students in organic chemistry relative to students in intro chem or gen chem, some of whom are still not the best at just being students yet. So they're still just obtaining those student skills. So we might not get to have those more in-depth chemistry level conversations with them. Got it. So I know we shifted to online learning and this whole debacle of, is it like good or not? So I just wanted to ask if you can take away one thing from your faculty members, uh, what would it be? Like, what would you apply or improve on in online learning? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. You mean like what, what am I kind of not, or what do I feel like is not ideal right now about online learning that could be improved? Is that kind of yeah, what Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that the hardest part of online learning so far is just like the lack of connection, that it's harder to connect between the teacher and the student, between the students and the students, um, like I, like, so the way I taught my course in the fall was I taught it on zoom and we would have live zoom meetings and I would put students into breakout rooms and have them work problems together, um, in an effort to try to develop some connection between the students. Cause I think having some connection and some community within your classroom is really important for everyone to feel good about their learning experience and to have a good experience and that that connection is just harder to establish over zoom um so I, yeah i guess i'm trying to think of how to make that better because some students did they did a good job they talked they had their cameras on so everyone could see each other right that's that's often been an issue is that if the students don't turn their cameras on and they're not looking at each other it's harder for them to communicate with each other it's harder for me to know what they're getting confused on if I can't see their faces. So if there was like an easier way maybe to have everyone show their faces during our live Zoom meetings, um, that might improve things. But we also, like as teachers, we have to recognize that not everyone's comfortable turning their cameras on. Maybe they have something in the background of their home where they don't want everyone to see what their home looks like. Maybe their sibling is taking an online class behind them. Um, 
So if there could be, I guess if there could be some space where students could be um, and show their faces on Zoom to help improve that connection in the online learning environment that might help build classroom community a little bit better. Okay. Um, so do you think that the online environment has impacted the success of the students and how well they do in OCHEM? Oh, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, we have, I actually haven't looked at the data for OCHEM. So this fall I taught intro chem. I did not teach OCHEM this fall. Um, but I, I guess knowing how OCHEM went, so we had Dr. Iraq teaching it and then Dr. Lipson teaching it. And I think we had probably a little less success. Um, I mean, I would say this without knowing the exact numbers, but just from sort of word of mouth from my coworkers, I think that students did not do as well in OCHEM in the online environment relative to in the in-person environment. And I think that's partly, especially because OCHEM students do really enjoy that sense of community, right? When in an OCHEM class, at least at DVC, students are often working together. Um, right. They go to the tutoring lab together and without being able to do that, I think that probably impacted them more so than other types of students. Um, so I think so far it has not been good for our OCHEM students, but that's not yeah. to say it can't be improved. There, There's definitely, um things that can be done and right they're going to try it again this semester we'll see how it goes okay well since you taught uh intro chem how has it affected those students yeah so that is interesting i do think it's it's actually it's hard to say so um what i should share is that with intro chem i'm part of this grant work from uh the state of california the california education learning lab um, gave us this grant and it's a collaboration between a few instructors at DVC, a few instructors at UC Berkeley, College of Marin and Sonoma State. So we had this collaboration around the Bay Area and we're designing new materials for intro chem students, which is why I taught intro chem this fall. Um, and it, it's part of, um, or the idea behind these materials is that it gets students working together in small groups. It gets students analyzing data. It gets students looking for patterns and learning intro chemistry in a way that is not traditional, right? Instead of saying, here's some information, learn it and apply it. It's saying, here's some data. Can you come up with the models and the information? And so, um, so I tried that in my classroom this past fall in my Zoom online classroom and it worked really well. I think it actually improved success for students relative to when I've taught intro chem in person without these types of classroom materials. So it's hard, I can't decouple them, right? Cause I tried these new materials and taught online at the same right. time. So it's hard to know what it was that was making the improvement but comparing to other instructors that taught intro chem this semester without those materials students in my classroom and in a co uh, coworkers classroom who use the same materials did a lot better. Um, so I guess what we found is that if you teach the same way as you do in person, then intro chem students maybe are doing the same, maybe a little bit worse online. Um, but if you make these new improvements that we're trying, then you can actually improve student success even in the online environment. Okay, um, I'm kind of curious to know a little bit more about that. So I remember when I was in intro chem and when I was in OCHEM that sometimes if your lab didn't go well, you would get some sample data. And is that kind of what you're doing with that grant? 
Yeah, kind of. So it's actually not, these activities are not for the labs. Um, so these are more for the lecture materials. So it would be more like, um, let me think of an example. So if I was trying to teach intermolecular forces, like where I want students to see like dipole-dipole attractions and hydrogen bonding and London dispersion forces, instead of saying, these molecules have hydrogen bonding, these molecules have dipole-dipole attractions, I would instead give them some data and say, here are three molecules, here are their structures, their Lewis structures, and here are their boiling points. So this is something we can measure in the lab, we can measure a boiling point. Um, what, is, what are the patterns that you see in the boiling point? As boiling point increases, what else about these molecules change? And how does that change with boiling point get you thinking about what might be causing the differences in boiling point? Um, so it is kind of giving them sample data um, and then asking them to sort of come up with the concepts from that. All right. So what are some of the part that is hardest to teach in OCHEM or do you think that is hardest for students to understand in OCHEM? Oh, that's a good question. So one thing that's always kind of hit or miss for some students in OCHEM, I think is chirality, is the idea of um, handedness in molecules, right? That you can have enantiomers, that you can have this chirality in your organic molecules with a carbon in the center. And some students can pick up on it and some students like really struggle with it. And I think it has to do with different students' comfort levels with picturing and rotating molecules in three dimensions in their head, right? That's a big part of organic chemistry. Um, and so some students are just more practiced with that skill and they pick up on it. And some students need to spend the time to practice before they can get it. I think most students eventually do, right? That it takes, it might take you more time, but eventually everyone usually gets on board. And by the second semester, most students are able to understand R versus S and enantiomeric excess and all that stuff. But it's usually sort of a big activation barrier, so to speak, to get over. Yeah. Okay. So I know that when I was in your class, you actually used models to help us learn um, chirality, enantiomers, diastereomers. Was that something that's changed a lot over the online environment? Because I know that since we're not in person, sometimes they don't have access to these things. But how is how has it changed the teaching of enantiomers, diastereomers, chirality? Yeah, that's... Um... That's a good question. So I think it has changed um, or it's made it more challenging to learn that in the online environment. Um, I mean, there are ways around it, like a lot of instructors are making videos, so the instructor can still sort of hold the model in the video and kind of rotate it. But there's still a little bit lost, right, when you're not in person and you're looking at a model on a video and then not being able to um, Right, if, a, if an instructor does a pre-recorded video, as a lot of us are doing, then students don't get to raise their hand in the middle and say, wait, can you turn it that way again? Or can I see it like this? So we don't get to sort of interact in that way. So that can be limiting. Um, what we do have, which is nice um, to say some positive things about online learning, because there definitely are positive things, um, is that having to teach online has got instructors to look at a lot of the simulations that are available um, online or like apps, web apps, where we can have students rotate like cartoon versions of organic molecules in three dimensions. So there are a lot of tools 
that instructors are finding and using to help students picture those three-dimensional molecules and everything. Um, and then I think the other benefit, going back to the pre-recorded videos, is that even if you're watching a pre-recorded video that an instructor posts for you, you can't ask questions in real time, but you can pause the video, you can go back, you can rewatch. So it gives students more flexibility in that way as well. So I think there are some positive things that come out of online learning um, and ways, ways around um, not having a physical model in front of you when you're learning this material. Right. Got it. So what would you say would be your teaching philosophy? Like what is the most important thing to you as a teacher? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think for me, a, a big thing that I think about that kind of weaves itself through all of my teaching um, is, is like an honest belief that every student is capable of learning what I'm teaching them. Um, and I think that the reason I think about that a lot is because it's not necessarily part of the culture in STEM, right? STEM in the past has had this sort of chilly climate, so to speak. A lot of students feel don't feel included or feel like um, they just can't do it or they just don't have the innate ability to do science or math or something like that. Um, and I think that that's, it's just an unfortunate part of the history and the culture of STEM, but it's not founded in reality. It's, it's, it's cultural and constructed. So I really believe that even students that struggle with the most basic things are quite capable of learning. Um, if you can, if the instructor can frame the material properly and encourage the student, like there's a lot in teaching that we don't, maybe some scientists don't like to think about, but there's an emotional aspect to it that if you feel like you can do something as a student, you're more likely to be able to do it. And if you feel like you can't, then you're more likely to not be able to do it. So there's definitely, I think that's something I try to keep in my teaching all the time is just making sure students know that I really think they can do it, even, even if it's super difficult for them at one point. Okay. Um, so since we've been in quarantine for many months now, coming up on a year, um, what have you been occupied with besides teaching um, <laughs> hobbies or anything like that? What am I doing with my life? That's a good question. Um, yeah, so it definitely has had, it's, it's made me like have to appreciate where I live and my home because I really enjoy traveling and I have not been able to travel obviously with um, these pandemic conditions. So um, about it's January. So about a little over a year ago, my husband and I bought a house. So just like appreciating living in a house and having space. And we have like a backyard and just enjoying spending time in my own backyard rather than traveling somewhere else or doing some crazy hikes or backpacking trips. Um, I think that I've learned to appreciate time spent here. Um, things I've probably been doing more of is probably cooking. I guess like like a lot of people, a lot of people are getting into like cooking and baking. Um, I've definitely been doing more cooking and trying more things. Um, we have some recipes on my dad's side of the family, some really good Greek recipes that I'm trying to learn how to do. So I'm getting a little bit into that stuff. Um, I watched The Queen's Gambit, and so naturally I'm obsessed with chess now. <laughs> so I'm oh like, yeah, such a great I, show. Right. 
my husband and I like constantly have a chess game going and I'll like play chess on my phone on a little app. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are some things I've been doing during the pandemic. Got it. I love that answer too. I was kind (laughs) of like laughing, muting myself. Anyways, so are there any hobbies that you would like to start but haven't yet? Oh, that's a good question. No, I'm like, I'm not super into crafting. You know, a lot of people are into like crafting and projects like that. Not super into that. I think I would like to get more, like do some more cooking. Like I said before, I always want to take another Spanish class. (laughs) It's like always in my brain to learn some more Spanish. Um, So I feel like that's something that if I, if I, like depending how much longer this lasts, maybe doing some sort of online Spanish class might be added to my list of activities. Got it. Yeah, I've been picking up a couple hobbies here and there too since we're in the quarantine. But well, thank you so much, Professor Corey, for coming in today. I hope it was insightful for many of our listeners. And we really appreciate that you take your time out of your day to do this. It was very great hearing your answers to these questions. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to both of you. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Thank you guys for listening to the podcast and I hope you have a great day. Goodbye.